BYU cornerback Dylan Flowers had a nice practice on this hot day of fall camp. He broke up a pass during the team's scrimmage and was all smiles when he walked over to talk to me. But I didn't want to talk to the Southern California native about his practice or his chances of getting playing time for the Cougars. Why did you initially decide, hey, I want to go to Southern Utah? Well, I just wanted a challenge for myself. It was a good choice for me because I learned a lot from Southern Utah. What, 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 give us an idea of what you learned. Okay, I learned how to be patient. I learned how to develop. Last year, it was, it was, it was very hard for me because fall camp, my corner coach, he went to a new job. So it was like we had a corner coach who wasn't really a corner coach. And then it was a lot of, I just wasn't put in the very best spot at the time. Every day I would just go to practice, I'd be like, God, get me through this day. Cause I was scout last year. So I was just like, God, give me the strength to persevere. And he did. It was a good working environment. It was very peaceful. It was not much to do. So you get your work in. I'm more appreciative of where I am now. Cause I came from Southern Utah. Southern Utah University has been the right place for so many people. You know what, Southern Utah is kind of its own little baby. It's just, it's a great spot. SUU, they are phenomenal in terms of their teaching. I mean, top notch in terms of their teaching and also facilitating and cultivating in you uh, that superior skill that you need of critical thinking. And so I think that, you know, compared to a, a lot of larger schools um, that I've attended, it's much more personalized, um, is probably the, the strongest um, benefit. And so what separates it from any other university, I think is kind of, um, you know, individual, according to that person. But it was key for me just because it forced me to search on what is it that I really want in life. Um, and I think sometimes those questions are hard to get when you're in a place or an environment where there's a lot of noise and, and lights and attention. And so that's why it was a blessing for me. Welcome to BYU Radio's Big Stories, a show dedicated to the incredible tales surrounding the opponents of the BYU Cougars. I'm your host, Cleon Wall. In this episode, we are focusing on a couple of specific stories from Southern Utah University. Two Thunderbird graduates soared above the rest because they bet on their talent, abilities, and curiosity. Dylan Flowers' plan was to play three years at SUU and then go to the NFL. It didn't quite work out that way, and he knew it would be difficult to make a jump to the league from Cedar City. There's not a lot of resources there, so it's up to you if you want to be great. Here it's a very, like, you know, Big 12. We played Baylor last year. We are we at the top already. Not top, but we get in there. There it's like, you want to go NFL? Okay, it's a far stretch. So if you want to, it's possible. Why BYU? Uh, fresh air, I believe, because, like, Cedar was good, but I feel like I needed change. I feel like I needed a, a more challenge, more competition, more to get the best out of me. Our first story deals with a T-Bird who made the exact opposite decision of Dylan. He needed a change and a challenge, and he left the big time of BYU to go to SUU. And he works a short drive from the BYU football practice facility in a regular old office building, managing people's retirement and wealth accounts. Hi, Brad Sorensen here. Brad Sorensen looks and talks like a typical financial consultant, helping people understand what is happening with the money they entrust to him. They're hiring us to come in and be level-headed when they're not level-headed. They say most financial advisors are more uh, therapists and consultants. 
And if you had met Brad for the first time in his Pro Bowl office, you wouldn't guess he used to play quarterback in the National Football League. I, I, I don't love to talk about myself or my, um, you know, that, that part of my life. I don't love to just bring it up. If it comes up, then I'm happy to tell stories or my experiences. Of course, the NFL was never his goal. He just wanted to play and compete. And he had plenty of competition growing up in Southern California with a dad, who was a former college basketball player, and five siblings. We had a basketball court in our backyard, and almost every day there was some game going on on the basketball court or in the front yard playing wiffle ball or soccer in the backyard. And um, my dad would just play, and he wouldn't necessarily take it easy on us. Brad played lots of sports, but the family rule was no tackle football before high school. Three of his older brothers paved the way playing at Colton High School, and Brad thought he would be just like them and become a tight end or a wide receiver. And um, on the day of tryouts, my mom, who had dropped me off, she said, if you don't go try out for quarterback today, you're going to be grounded. Because I, was, I was able to throw the ball well just playing catch with my brothers. And she said, I always wanted one of my kids to try quarterback. But everybody was, all my brothers were too scared. They didn't want the pressure and they didn't want to deal with all that. Anyways, I have my mom to thank for that. Brad was the starting quarterback for the freshman team by his second game. By the start of his junior year, he was QB number one for the varsity team. He got in better shape his senior season and grew five inches. And while coaches from USC, Oregon, and Alabama were recruiting his teammates, no one was clamoring for him. Because I was kind of a, a role player, I wasn't a standout player. We had plenty of standout players on the team. So I was throwing the ball eight to 10 times a game. And with those opportunities, I did, I feel like I had good numbers and I did well, threw a lot of touchdowns. But again, it wasn't enough for the college coaches to say, we want to, you know, take a risk on this kid when there's such a small sample size to give him a scholarship. One coach believed in him, Jason Brown. Brown eventually shot to start him because of the Netflix series, Last Chance You. But in 2006, he was the brand new offensive coordinator at San Bernardino Community College. In his words, he's like, I don't understand why you're not at a bigger school. He's like, it doesn't make sense. But he was recruiting me really hard. My older brother had just got off a mission and we had decided together, we're like, hey, why don't we do this together? This is the only chance we'll probably ever have to be on the same team together and play. So Jason Brown, that year of junior college, he was phenomenal for my growth. I learned so much under him um, because he was really just teaching me just the basics. I was throwing a 30 plus times a game, you know? And so I had so many more opportunities to show, you know, my skill set and, you know, have college coach, college evaluate my ability. I think one game I threw the ball 70 something times in a game. Coaches were paying attention. He received scholarship offers to play at UConn and Utah State, but it came with one condition. You can't go on a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I, I, I do remember wrestling with that decision and thinking, this is my dream that I've always wanted. And here I've got two good programs, Division I football, um, that want to offer me a scholarship to go play. And uh, having to turn that down, not knowing that I'd get another opportunity down the road. Uh, it was difficult, but I don't think I wrestled with it for, for much longer than a day, maybe a week. That was always the decision, and that was always the goal of 
you know, putting whatever I had at the time going on, putting that on hold to go serve the Lord uh, for two years. Brad spent two years teaching the people of Spain. It was not easy. Few people wanted to be baptized. I did end up baptizing one individual on my mission. And it was in the last um, two weeks of my mission. So I'd gone 23 months of my mission with no baptisms. And um, I don't know if that's kind of reminiscent of what my football career was. It's just keep plugging along. Like just keep trying, keep showing up, keep doing the work. And um, eventually it paid off. Brad's mission experiences would benefit him on the football field, but only after a new challenge at BYU. Welcome back to BYU Radio's Big Stories. Brad Sorensen worked hard to become a solid quarterback at the junior college level in Southern California. But after returning from his mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he was now moving on up. He was welcomed as a walk-on to BYU's football team with the planned play with his younger brother, Danny, after he returned from a mission for the church. We were um, as close as you can get. And so the thought was we would room together, we'd be on the team together. And um, that was kind of the, the big goal. And unlike his experience in high school and junior college, Brad would not be the starting quarterback for the Cougars. Max Hall is now coming into his senior year. Um, was a Heisman favorite at the time, I think. Hall watches, he's got Coley waiting on it. it you know, Max was, he was awesome. Just to be able to learn from him and watch how he carried himself was really fun that year. Brendan Gaskins was the number two guy. Um, Riley Nelson had just got off a mission. He was a transfer before I was. So he was there six weeks before I was there. I was just excited to be there, you know, like, this is everything I had ever wanted. I just wanted to be a part of a, a college program and eventually get an opportunity to win a starting job. He was hoping to get that opportunity the following spring. When I was there on uh, practicing and going through all that, I felt like I was just as good as any of those quarterbacks. Like I didn't feel like I was so much worse than any of these guys. I'm like, I can make that pass. I can make that throw. I can make that read. I, I can do all this stuff. You know, I just feel like if I, if I get the right opportunity, if they give me a chance, I can do it. Um, the problem was is the chance never came. Southern Utah coaches contacted Brad, wanting him to replace graduating starter Cade Cooper. Brad was in a tough spot. I had a good bishop at the time in the singles ward who gave me some really good advice. He said, whenever you are wrestling between two good decisions, and my decisions was either stay at BYU sit on the bench and just graduate and, or go play football. And the bishop said, you have two good decisions. The Lord wants you to make what you want. He says, there's no wrong answer here. But before Brad made a decision, he asked coaches at BYU if he would be given a chance to play. Brad was told he would start out as the fifth string guy. And he said, look, there's just not reps for five quarterbacks. You know, there's, there's not enough time. And I said, okay, that's the answer I'm looking for. Brad was betting on himself. He felt he could fulfill his football dreams in a small stadium in Cedar City. But his brother Danny begged him to stay at BYU rather than head south. And I remember him writing back saying, dude, you do not want to go there. Because at the time, they were kind of the laughing stock. Um, well, they had got a new coach in in 2008, I believe it was his first year, Ed Lamb, and completely turned the program around. 
I went down and visited SU a few times and I felt something kind of special, you know? And I think it was the culture that Coach Lamb had created. We, we realized that he was a hidden gem. This is BYU tight ends coach Steve Clark. He was Brad's offensive coordinator at Southern Utah. You could tell he, he had what it, you know, what we needed. Really good arm, accurate, strong, um, but, but he could harness it very well and um, learn the offense, kept it simple, made the easy throws. Um, yeah, he was, he was great. Fezzi Sataki was one of Brad's new T-Bird teammates. I was like, this guy, I don't know how we got him, but I'm glad we did. The current Cougars wide receivers coach was one of Brad's main Thunderbird targets in 2010. We had a little window to pick up the playbook, pick up chemistry. Obviously not just myself, everyone with him as the quarterback. He fit in so great, uh, picked up the playbook. We were running almost like, in many identical ways, BYU's offense. Did you ever go to him and just say, hey, I'm, I'm your number one receiver, you should throw the ball to me? <laughs> no, I didn't because our, the, the number one receiver was on the other side of me. We knew we were going to throw a lot, and so there was kind of no need or pressure to be like, hey, like, look at me, because we knew everyone was going to eat. Brad was a um, big, strong quarterback with a NFL arm. BYU linebackers coach Justin Enna was Southern Utah's defensive coordinator in Brad's first season. His defense had a hard time defending Brad in practice. He could throw 65 yards. And so with Brad's vision and then understanding how strong his arm was, um, he taught us as defenders to make sure that we keep on carrying deeper because he's got an NFL arm. Brad helped to lead SUU to a conference title in his first season as T-Birds QB, and he just kept getting better. NAU, I think it was his junior year, we were up in the Sky Dome in Northern Arizona, and uh, it was a shootout. It was, I think, 60 to 50, and for him just to carry the team pretty much on his shoulders, because our defense was horrible at that point. Um, they were scoring points on us, we were scoring points on them, and I was happy that he was on our team because we outscored him. Um, uh, my brother, my older brother played for UNLV, we go and play at UNLV my junior season. We beat him on the road. He's in the stands. Here, I remember him saying before the game, he's like, there's no way you guys are going to win this game. You guys are going to get smashed. You have no chance. And we beat him like 41-17 or 41-10, something like that. The offense didn't play great that game, but the defense had three touchdowns. That was a big highlight. Brad played great that game. We, in that game, we let him do a lot of his own play calling at the line of scrimmage. What led to that decision? Uh, just because he could do it, you know, he could see what what they were in and what they were doing at the line better than we could before they showed their, their alignment. So, um, you know, we gave him freedom to go to what he wanted to, to go to, and it's usually a pass. In fact, it was always a pass. Yeah, it worked out. We did that a lot with Brad, um, just, just to keep him challenged, you know, keep him uh, developing. Uh, one time we were walking off the field and he said, I, I can throw this ball and hit that, this chair. There was one chair that was down. All the other chairs were up. He said, I can hit that chair and knock it up. And I said, there's no way you can throw it that far. And he, he threw it and hit the chair and it went up. I didn't, <laughs> didn't have much to say after that. When did you realize this guy might have a chance in the NFL? 
day one of fall camp. The way he just picked up the offense, the way he commanded um, everyone's respect without even being there long, and then just watching him throw. Brad wasn't so sure. NFL scouting journalists, websites would start to reach out to me and say, hey, you know, hey, you're kind of on the radar. And so I started to get other people saying like, hey, you, you, you might have a chance. I still didn't really believe it. But his attitude changed when he was invited to the NFL Combine. I had gone and looked up uh, the data on it, and most quarterbacks that go to the Combine, it was really high, over 80%. If you go to the Combine, there's a good chance that you're at least either drafted or you're a free agent to an NFL team. Brad thought his best chance for getting drafted was on the last day of the draft. His family was gathered to celebrate his grandmother's 80th birthday. Lots of teams were calling Brad, but not to draft him. Quickly on the call, they say, hey, 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 we're not going to draft you. They don't want to get your hopes up. Hey, we're not drafting you here. We're calling because we want you as a free agent. So I'm filling all these calls, and I get another one right in the middle of dinner with um, all the family there. And um, this one was a little bit different. It was the general manager. He said, hey, this is Tom Telesco. Uh, with the Chargers, he says, our pick's coming up in the next five minutes. We're going to draft you. My brother comes out, and he's like, you know, kind of give me the sign. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's happening. He runs back in and tells everybody. And um, anyways, it came up on the screen, the ticker. It says Brad Sorensen, Chargers. So it ended up being this really cool, special memory. Betting on himself worked, and Brad was the first T-Bird ever drafted into the NFL. It was great for the program, for the institution, um, you know, at, at SUU. This again is former Thunderbird teammate Fezzi Satake. So to be able to, to, to have him kind of be that pioneer, to know that many were going to follow him uh, and not just going to the NFL but being drafted was really cool to see. And, and he, did, he deserved to be in that spotlight. Brad's amazing journey to the NFL did not culminate with him holding the Vince Lombardi trophy as the starting quarterback of the Super Bowl winning team. It ended with him being cut by the Minnesota Vikings after three seasons of trying to find a home. I finished the preseason with them. I had no other calls. There was a few other things here and there, but I just, I had told my agent, I said, you know what, I think I'm done. There were times where it felt frustrating because I felt like I was really starting to figure things out, but it, it is what it is. I'm in a great career now. Um, I love what I do. You know, it sucks that I'm not doing football or, or, or playing that out, but I also got a lot more opportunities than I thought I would have ever had and way more opportunities than most people ever get. What would you say to anyone who's thinking about attending an FCS school or a smaller school after the experience that you went through at Southern Utah? I would say go for it. If, if you're talented, they'll find you. I mean, and, and not everybody might have the goal of trying to play in the NFL. I certainly didn't have that goal. I just tried to play as best of football as I could, and it worked out for me. But my experience is you cannot, like, substitute playing. So my advice would be if you um, want to play, just find a home. Find, find a school that likes you that is interested in you being on the team and being part of the program and, and you're able to contribute in some way, it's, it's awesome. When we come back, how a Southern Utah University graduate 
pushed aside the problems of his past to become a Cornell researcher. Welcome back to BYU Radio's Big Stories. So as a PhD candidate, I'm pretty busy over here. This is Donald Long of Cornell University. He's trying to find a way to stop a specific type of liver cancer from growing. This occurs, unfortunately, mainly in young individuals. So we're talking about adolescents to young adults. The prognosis for this is, is pretty grim. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about a five-year survival rate of maybe, you know, 30, 40 percent. You know, so, so basically half of them don't even make it past five years. Donald is about four years into a five-year Ph.D. program. And the New Jersey native is relatively close to his home state, but how he got to Ithaca, New York and Cornell University was a long and strange journey. He did not go to college right out of high school. Um, somewhere in there, probably middle school, uh, I think I kind of lost interest in education somewhat. Uh, I was still a curious kid nonetheless, but in terms of the educational system, I just wasn't too interested. So, as a senior in high school, Donald decided he would join the Air Force, much to the consternation of his father. He signed the papers and he said, don't come crying back to me. I remember those words. I went off into the military and uh, it definitely was a major transition. Um, and, and that's what the military is designed to do, to be honest. They, they kind of break you down to build you back up. With that shift in my paradigm, um, something very, very uh, phenomenal happened. Um, I began to question lots of things in life. And I think that's where my curiosity really, really amped up. And, you know, I, I just became more curious about life and how things work and how I should operate and move in life. Essentially, when I had got out of the military, I had gotten to personal training. Donald's cousin eventually convinced him to pursue his personal training career in Los Angeles. I went there. And, and, and to be honest, it, it was a culture shock upon a culture shock. The reason why I say that is because California in and of itself, and then also where my cousin was residing. Um, I had no idea when I landed there the type of neighborhood he was living in, and it wasn't a good one. It, it's, it's, very, it's a very reactive type of atmosphere. The individuals there, um, they're in very dire situations. They're trying to survive. But that didn't stop Donald from being friendly to his neighbors. So one night, he and his cousin decided to talk to some women that lived on their street. So we're laughing and chatting, and uh, all of a sudden, this guy literally just pops up from nowhere. Um, <laughs> I mean, literally. I just got to see him out my peripheral. And, um, you know, you can just tell from his disposition, he just, he just, he was in a very bad mood. And he just starts coming in and, talking all types of just just craziness, um, you know, you know uh, and uh, then he directs his attention to me and basically he's talking in a manner like he wants to harm me, you know, so I'm just trying to stay relaxed, uh, you know, and everyone's like, hey, you know, everything's okay. So I remember he had mentioned something and, and I just, what I said, I said, wow, that's deep, like kind of like that, like just trying to invite a conversation, you know, like, man, what you're talking about sounds serious. And uh, he just kind of looked at me, he said, what did you say? And I just said, I just said that was deep. And he's like, what? And that's what I mean by, then he just kept egging things up and then he got physical. 
and, and just kept pushing. And then I defended myself. We got into it and, and it was just a massive brawl with, uh, you know, lots of guys out there and only me and my cousin. And uh, it really went downhill. After the fight, Donald and his cousin retreated to their apartment. I remember I had I had bent over to untie my shoe and all of a sudden I just see this this blood kind of squirt on the wall. And uh, I'm like, wow, they must have really kicked me really hard or something, you know? And he was like, wait a minute, turn around, let me see. And I remember saying, oh, I think he got stabbed. And it was crazy. Immediately after he said that, I started to kind of feel cold. Uh, I was shivering. I was like, I don't feel good, man. He's like, don't do this. I was like, I really don't feel good. And I remember things, I've started kind of going in and out. And he's like, don't do this, don't do this, you know? By that time that the ER had came and I was loaded in the, uh, the the ambulance, you know, I was I was basically I was gone. I was in and out of it. I, I, I remember this. This really hurt. I remember as I was in and out of it, uh, I was stabbed uh, in the back uh, inches from my spine, as the doctor put it. Um, uh, uh, after I came to, uh, I remember coming to to the doctor and he's like, well, you're, you're lucky you have a lot of muscle tissue It's like because they didn't puncture any internal organs. They came inches within your spine. He's like, but you're a lucky man. You got you all stapled up and you're good to go. Donald stayed in the hospital overnight, but he knew it was unwise for him to go back to the same neighborhood. So he moved out without a place to live. Donald chose to be homeless. The Veterans Administration put him in a hotel for a while, but then referred him to local homeless shelters. Um, and uh, yeah, they, I mean, they were just bad, you know, and I remember having to decide within myself, like, am I going to stay here? Or am I just going to sleep on the street? I was literally on the street, on the sidewalk, um, you know, looking up at the sky and just, just, just asking myself, how in the world did I get here? I'm just like, wow, that, that was the lowest point in my life. Donald's mother wanted him to move back to New Jersey. He didn't think that was a wise idea. Um, and I felt like I needed to do this on my own in order to grow. And in hindsight, I know I made the right decision. I really felt like this really instilled in me a, a motivation that couldn't be quenched. Even though he was homeless, Donald didn't rest. He worked several different jobs all over the state of California, and the VA was finally able to put him in a nicer shelter. Then a friend completely changed Donald's life by inviting him to move to Cedar City, Utah with her. Talk about a different kind of culture shock from Los Angeles. So it's it's a predominantly white town, right? Um, with very little black individuals. And obviously the predominant religion is Mormon, right? So um, I just was like, okay, how, how is this gonna go down? You know? <laughs> um, but actually to my surprise, uh, the people there were very welcoming. Um, I made a lot of good relationships there. Donald eventually started working at Gold's Gym as an assistant personal training manager. A lot of his clients had major health problems. Those are the things that I, tend, I tended to focus on, even more so than the health and fitness aspect. I, that just really perplexed me, and I really wanted to help those individuals with those deeper, what I consider deeper problems. Um, and, 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 and my hands were tied, obviously, because I was only a personal trainer. When I uh, was in Cedar City and I began to ask that question, I had an epiphany. I'm like, oh, you have the GI Bill from the military. Oh, and Southern Utah University is right up the street. 
maybe you should go back to school. So he did. Donald enrolled in college with the hope of becoming a physician. He was really stood out as an exceptional student in that he seemed to be really interested in understanding the concepts at a really deep level. This is SUU's Bruce Howard. Okay, I'm a professor of chemistry, um, and I teach uh, biochemistry is my focus. Donald was one of his students. You know, he, he would ask questions whenever they arose. Um, and then he would also come to my office hours. We'd talk about um, history and um, society and um, issues that were, you know, problems with society and how we might be able to... Um, make them better and fix things. There are a number of these individuals who basically, um, you know, they really took time out of their day. And these individuals didn't have to do that, but they did. The two worked on studies together, and Donald was still thinking he wanted to become a medical doctor. But another professor said he didn't think Donald should go down that path. At first, I was kind of like offended by those. What do you mean I don't think like an MD? Like, what are you trying to say? You know, he was saying that there, there's people have different ways of thinking. He's like, in your mind, the way that it works, you're actually just curious. You want to try things out. And he's like, that's a PhD. PhD is trying things out. They explore the unknowns. He's like, and that's how your mind thinks. And so Donald switched things up and decided to become a research scientist. I think that his decision to go into graduate school um, and become a, a research scientist I'm, I'm grateful because I think he's, he has the potential to do a lot more, have, have a lot more of an impact than um, just a physician. Um, you know, and I'm not, you know, do medical doctors are, are awesome and I'm very grateful for them. Um, but it just, it, it's a, a small percentage of people that have the ability to really um, think outside the box and, and have the, the desire to understand at a deep level and focus on um, solving problems like that. Going back to when you were in Los Angeles, did you see yourself becoming a, a researcher at Cornell University? Or was it just like, I just need to find a better situation? Exactly, I just need to find a better situation. I could never have imagined, seriously. Um, no, that, that was not in my line of sight. You know, stay motivated. That's what I have to tell the audience. Um, you know, um, you would be surprised the places you can go in life. What does what your education at Southern Utah meant to you? Oh, it's meant the world. I mean, it, it, it really has. It's, it's meant the world. It taught me that the scientific process is just a part of life. I use the scientific method, that fundamental tool, every day. And, you know, and, and it's taught me to use it in a more refined manner and using that over all aspects of my life. So like I said, it's been crucial, absolutely fundamental. Big Stories is produced and written by me, Cleon Wall. Music and post-production is by Gracie Davis. Make sure you watch BYU TV's Big Stories by logging on to byusn.com. Big Stories is a production of BYU Radio.